All right, well, today we're in our second part of Mark chapter 4, so uh, we're joined by Pastor John. John, this is kind of, in a way, this is part two. This is following up on the parable of the soils from last week. Uh, we talked about that. If you missed it, you can find it online at PursueGod.org or just check out our previous episode on the podcast. But but what is going to happen here in Mark chapter 4 is we get this first parable of the soils, and then we get three more parables, and then really Mark doesn't include a whole lot of other parables. I think he has maybe one or two parables in the rest of the Gospel of Mark. And so what's interesting is really these next three parables, we're going to cover all three of them today, is is they really have this common thread. And it's really, a like I said, it's a continuation of what we saw last week about the parable of the soils. Here's the thread. It's that God's methods are mysterious, but his kingdom is unstoppable. So keep that in mind as you listen to this. God's methods are mysterious, but his kingdom is unstoppable. In fact, I want to encourage you as you're listening to this to be thinking about your own relationship with God, your own journey toward God. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. Think about how you came to faith who God used for that, um, or maybe you're listening to this and you're still on the journey toward God. You're still trying to learn. You're still dipping your toe and you're trying to learn who Jesus is. And I want you to think about then these three parables that Jesus is going gonna, is gonna to tell us, and I want you to apply them to your own life. And so, so John, let's start with this first one, Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. It's the parable of the lamp. Why don't you start by reading the parable from the New Living Translation, and then let's unpack it for our listeners today. Sounds great, Brian. So beginning in verse 21, it says, Then Jesus asked them, Would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine. For everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open, and every secret will be brought to light. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Then he added, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given, and you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. Okay, so let's let's highlight a few statements in this first parable. And really the first statement, I think, goes out to any believers, any followers of Jesus who are listening to this. In fact, you know, one of the things that we really emphasize in the Pursue God resources is that if you're a follower of Jesus, he wants you to be a disciple maker. And so really it's for the disciple makers or the would-be disciple makers that this first statement really should jump out at us. If you're a believer, you're called to reflect the light of Jesus. So, John, talk a little bit about you know the lamp in this this uh, metaphor that Jesus uses of of a lamp and hiding a lamp under your bed. Well, Jesus is the light of the world, right? So, in this parable, Jesus is the light. He he called himself the light of the world, and it's not something to be kept secret. It's not something to be hidden. And as you mentioned, as followers of Christ, we are supposed to reflect His light. And, and I think it's, it's funny, it's almost a rhetorical question when Jesus says, would, would you light a, a lamp and put it under a bed? Of course not. It's illogical. It doesn't make sense that anyone would do that. And yet, 
that's kind of what happens when we don't live out our faith. If if you and I as believers are are secret service Christians, <laughs> if nobody knows where we stand, if if we're not talking about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, if we're not taking the Great Commission seriously, then in a way we're taking that light and we're hiding it under the bed. Well, right, right, and here's the problem, and we talk about this in our resources quite a bit, is if you if you accept Christ, you know, we talk about the parable of the soils last week. Let's say that you were receptive and you received Christ, but but maybe that was 20 years ago, 25 years ago. If you've never shared your faith, if you've never made a disciple, probably your faith isn't super strong right now because God built us to share our faith. And one of the things that happens, and this is true for our young people as well, by the way, parents listening to this, one of the best things you can do for your teenage kid to help them solidify their faith is help them to disciple somebody. Because it's one thing to be a consumer of information, and it's another thing to be a sharer of information. And Jesus, one of his fundamental messages in the Gospels is that he wanted everyone, fishermen, tax collectors, regular people, young people, old people, he wanted everyone to be a sharer of information, not just a consumer of information. When you share it, it ends up, it ends up uh, really taking root, to use some of the metaphors that Jesus is using. When you share it, it takes root. When you just keep it to yourself, a lot of times those are the people who later on don't even have much faith to speak of at all. Well, I think there's a common fallacy in the church, particularly the American church, that maturity is synonymous with your length of time as a believer. Right, that if I've been a believer for 15 years, then I'm a mature believer. But as you just pointed out, if if we've never shared the gospel with anyone, if we've never helped that next person go full circle, we are not a mature believer. We're still just a, a truth one believer, right? We, we've we're trusting in Jesus for salvation, but we're not even a truth two believer, because mm. truth two is we live to honor God. Well, you're not honoring God if you're not sharing your faith. It's something He has called us to do, right? The Great Commission is a command; it's not a suggestion. So, if you're trusting in Jesus for salvation, but you've you've never helped that next person, I, I would say you're still a baby believer in a lot of ways. Yeah. So, here's a question for you believers listening out there: How is God calling you to be a light? You, do you know people at school? Maybe you're in school still, junior high, high school, college. Maybe it's just time for you to start sharing a little bit with people in your school, or maybe people at work, or or people in your community, or even people in your family. Um, exercise that faith muscle. And again, if you need some tips on how to do that, we've got resources. Check out the About page at PursueGod.org. A simple way to do that is just to maybe share some topics from Pursue God that that would answer questions that maybe some of the people in your life have had. You don't have to just you know bring your biggest Bible out and start preaching to them from the Bible. That's not what we're suggesting. It, you know, text text a topic to them, share a scripture verse with them, begin praying for them, begin asking God to open the door for you to have a meaningful conversation with someone. Because God wants you to do it more than you want to do it. So if you open yourself up to it, then you you will stop hiding the light under a bed and uh, and and you can share your faith with people in your world. Yeah, I think you touched on something that's really important there, Brian. 
and it does tie into these parables about how God's work is mysterious, and that's pray about it. Ask God to reveal to you where he's working, because God's already working on someone in your circle of influence, I can almost guarantee it, and Mm. it's not always the person you would think. Again, God's work is mysterious, so so young people, uh, you know, adults, moms, dads, ask God, pray about who in my circle of influence do you want me to connect with? Who do you want me to share with? Reveal them to me. Reveal where you're already working. You know, there was a a Bible study I did as a college student. It's one of the most impactful ones I've done. It was by uh, Blackaby, and it was called Experiencing God. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have done it. But that, that's one of the main themes in that study is find out where God is at work and join him. Don't try and go out and work on your own. You know, find out where God is already cultivating soil, where he's already softening it, he's already fertilizing it, because then when you cast your seeds there, they're much more likely to take root. Now, the next thing in this passage, John, let's, let's talk about for our listeners, comes from verse 22, and the, the key word is eventually. Jesus says, for everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open, and every secret secret will be brought to light. Now, I know that we've talked about this previously in our Mark series as we've covered the first three chapters. A lot of times Jesus would heal somebody and then say, don't tell anyone, don't tell anybody. And that's probably confusing to people who just heard us tell them that they're supposed to not hide their light. So why don't you explain that? What's Jesus talking about? What's the eventually all about here? Well, I think first and foremost, Jesus is speaking probably to the disciples. I mean, he's speaking to us in this passage, but I think he's reassuring the disciples, hey, look, guys, a time is coming when I'm going to make fully known who I am. When when the whole world is going to know that I am the Messiah, I am God in the flesh, because up to this time, he's really been keeping that a secret. You know, as you mentioned, he's been telling people, don't go and say what I did for you. And so I have to think the disciples are getting impatient particularly when you consider the preconceived notions they had about what the Messiah was going to do, about the victory and the deliverance he was going to bring, how he was going to overthrow the Roman government. I think they're probably wondering, why is he so slow to reveal who he is? And so Jesus is reassuring them, hey, look, there's a time coming when we're going to get it all out in the open. I'm going to fully reveal who I am. And, And I would say to those of us today we're in that time. Like we're in a time where we can shout it from the rooftops. We're, we're in a time when we can boldly proclaim that Jesus is Lord, that he's the King of Kings. You know, we just celebrated Easter. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had people in our places of worship and in our local congregations singing and, and praising God that the tomb is empty. And, and we're called to make this truth known. We've talked about the Great Commission some in this in this podcast, we are called to go out and talk about the hope we have in Jesus Christ. We don't have to sit around and worry, is there something else? You know, Brian, are you and I supposed to sit around until God reveals the next thing? That there isn't any further revelation that we need. You know, God's Word is sufficient. We have the Bible. We have the personal revelation or the self-revelation of God through Jesus Christ. And now is the time for us to be making it known to the world. Yeah, one way we say that is the canon is closed. The canon of Scripture is closed, which means this, that the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments of the Bible, 
That is God's revealed word to us. We believe that that's authoritative. It's inspired. It's true. All of it is, not just the red words of Jesus, not just the gospels, but all of it is. And so we can act on this. These are our marching orders. This is the message that we're supposed to bring to the world. It's the message that the church has brought to the world for the last 2,000 years, and we get to be a part of that tradition. We don't have to wonder if something else is going to be added, if there's going to be a 67th book. We don't, have, we don't have to wonder if God's going to take something away, if he's going to say, oh, wait a second, I said this there, but now culture's changed, and so we're going we're gonna to tweak that a little bit. You can throw that out. You can throw that other thing out. You know, we, we do ministry in Utah among Mormons, and one of the things that, John, that I remember was so shocking to me is, is it, at the museum by the temple, the Mormon museum by the temple, they had on display jo- one of Joseph Smith's book, uh, Bibles. And they literally, I don't know if they have this on display anymore, I doubt it, but they literally had it open to, I think it was Philippians, the beginning of Philippians. And he had crossed out, he had crossed out whole sections of scripture in the book of Philippians. And I I remember seeing that and thinking, that's kind of what Christians do today, what many Christians do today, is they say, well, I'm going to pick and choose what I want to receive. I want to pick and choose what I think is authoritative but that's, that's not how we should approach God's word. We should say, God, this is your word. You've revealed it now. You know, when he says in verse 22, eventually everything is hidden. It will eventually be brought into the open. Every secret will be brought into light. That time has come. And so now we can go out into the world with confidence that the word's not going to change and that it won't change for the next generation either. And so again, this is a message to believers out there. Bring the word to the world it's time. It's time. We don't have to keep any secrets anymore. And John, there's one more thing in this passage before we go on to the next parable. In verse 23, he says, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And again, this, he mentioned, he already used this phrase in the parable of the soils. And so we talked about this last week a little bit, but he uses this phrase quite a bit in the gospels. And I think it's worth visiting again. He gives it more context here in this parable. Verse 24, he says, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding will be given and you'll receive even more. And then he says something that might be hard for some people to hear, but I I think it's important to hear. He says, to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. So it's really about the receptivity of your heart that we talked about last week. But for those who are not listening, now hear this, for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. And it reminds me of what we said last time, and it's worth repeating, that that Jesus spoke in parables not just to teach people in plain language, but he actually also did it because he wanted to kind of draw a line in the sand. He wanted to divide the sheep from the goats. He wanted to divide the listeners from the people who sort of just have their fingers in their ears. That says a lot about our the posture of our heart before God. E- even today as a believer, when I come to God's Word, do I have the attitude of, I want to make this fit my opinions and my dreams and my hopes and my you know, my design for my life, or do I come to God's word and just say, I want to listen? You know, God, I want to, I want to hear what you have to say. All scripture is God breathed. So, you know, back to the previous part about 
we we have the full revealed, uh, the full revelation of God in Scripture. It's all God breathed, and so even the parts that maybe I struggle with or maybe I have a hard time understanding, you know, the, the Bible says that God's word is truth. Well, truth doesn't change. Truth is truth. It has always been truth. It will always be truth. And I just notice, even for me and my journey as a believer, I, I confess there were times when I went to God's word hoping it would validate what I wanted it to say, you know, hoping hmm. I could find the answer I was looking for. And there's even a warning about that in Scripture, about people who are longing to have teaching that, that scratches their itching ears. And, and thankfully, God in His mercy has brought me to a place as I've gotten older and, and followed Him longer, that when I, when I come to His Word now, I, I just want to hear from Him. Like, what, what does God want to say to me through His Word and, and just really listen so that that's important. Yeah, that's good. The next parable, John, is in verses 26 to 29. And this is the parable of the mysterious growing seed. Here's what it says. Jesus said this, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. So again, it sounds a lot like the beginning of the parable of the soils. But Jesus is adding a little more context here. He says in verse 27, night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows but he doesn't understand how it happens. There's the mystery. The earth produces the crops on its own. First a leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. So, John, this one is a little mysterious. What What is Jesus getting at here, and how does this relate to our listeners today. Well, think back to the first parable that's kind of the foundational parable of this chapter, right? The parable of the soils. In that parable, the seed is God's word. So I think it's the same in this parable. The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. The seed is God's word. And so we don't know how God's word changes people. We know that it does, Right? I've seen it in my life, you've seen it in your life, we've seen it in the lives of literally thousands of people throughout our lifetime who have allowed God's Word to come in and change them, and, and God's Word has grown in them. But we don't know how He does it. You know, there's a mystery to it. Pastor Eric talks a lot about the mystery uh, behind how God brings salvation and brings regeneration. But a couple things I do notice in this parable, if you have a fertile soil... If you're listening, he'll continue to cause that to grow. God will do that. You may not understand exactly how he's doing it. You, you may not be able to logically explain how it's happening, but he will continue to reveal more of himself to you, and, and it's going to increase your understanding. Back to, to the end of that first parable, what you do know, you're going to know more. And one of the things that Jesus did with this parable is, is he tried to use stories that the average listener could relate to. And I think one of the reasons the parables may be a little hard for us is most of us aren't farmers. You know, we're, we're not in an agrarian society anymore, an agrarian economy. We, you know, we, we call up the grocery store and we have our food delivered to us, for crying out loud. We don't even have to go pick it up anymore. But all of Jesus's listeners would have been able to relate to this parable. Right? Even though the farmer doesn't know exactly how the seed grows, he still sows it. 
So think about that for a minute as we, as we relate the seed to the Word of God. The farmer's lack of understanding how it works doesn't keep him from scattering the seed. He has faith that it will grow. And in the same way as believers, you and I need to be busy sowing seeds, even if we don't understand exactly how God causes them to grow. And then the other thing about that, it's not our responsibility to make them grow because we can't. I remember when that, that truth finally sunk in probably 15, 20 years ago. I wasn't even in vocational ministry at the time, but I had some friends and family members that I just so wanted to come to Jesus. And I had all of this weight on me, like it was up to me. If I didn't communicate the gospel just right or at just the right mm. time, and man, understanding that only God can make that seed grow was so liberating for me. Yeah, I remember years ago, I was in college, and I was helping out at my church at a food pantry event, and one of the, the way it worked is you would, you would bring your, the, the family that came in to get a box of food would have to listen to a gospel presentation in order to take the food away. That was kind of the deal, and so I would share the gospel with these these families, and then they would take the food away. And I remember with one family, I shared the gospel, and I, I, John, I felt like I shared the gospel perfectly. I felt like, oh, these guys, this family's going to come to faith, and I asked them if they wanted to trust Jesus for salvation, and they basically said, no thanks, we'll just take the food, and they walked out. And I was so discouraged. I was so discouraged, and then the next family came in, and I think my discouragement was probably evident to them, and and I and I kind of blew it. I didn't really. I wasn't really on top of my game as I shared the gospel with this next family, and I stumbled over my words. And I, you know, I, it was it, it was pretty it was pretty bad. And I remember after I shared the gospel with the second family, I wasn't even going to invite them to respond to it. But I didn't need to because they said, we want to, we want to respond to Jesus. We want to become Christians. And I remember walking out of there that day, and that's really the mystery that Jesus is talking about here. It's not, you know, we do have a responsibility to sow the seed. That's for sure something we learn in these parables. But at the end of the day, we, we, it's not our job to make any seed grow. It's not our job it's, we can only do our part. We talk about this in some of our training tools at PursueGod.org. When you're sharing the gospel, when you're discipling someone, you can only do your part. You have a part to play, and a big part of it is just sharing the word and, and being faithful about how you share the word. But then they, the person receiving it has a part. They have to be receptive. Their soil, the soil of their hearts has to be receptive. You can't change that. And then, of course, God has his part, the biggest part, Paul talks about this in Corinthians. I planted the seed, you know, some people watered it, but God's the one who makes it grow. And we need to remember that we need to keep that in mind when we share the gospel. And I love what Paul says in Philippians 1.6, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. So that's the mystery of the seed of faith that grows in every one of us. We have a certain responsibility, but we don't have all the responsibility. And that takes the pressure off of us that we just need to do our part and let's let God do his part. And before we move on from this, John, though, I think it's important to make sure that people understand that we can have some impact on the soil. And in particular, I think parents need to understand 
that they're that with their children they're going to impact they can impact the i guess maybe the receptivity the soil of their kids hearts as they raise them in the lord explain that yeah i, I think in this parable it's helpful for us to break down again what god has called us to do where we have some responsibility and where it's completely out of our hands um, if you're a college football fan, I know people either love him or hate him, but Nick Saban, whether you like him or not, I think is a great coach. And one of the things he just says over and over and over again is that they focus on the things they can control, not the things that they can't control at his practices. And so when I look at this parable, if I'm the farmer and, and I'm talking about sowing the word of God, I can have an impact on whether I sow or not, right? Like I can be obedient to the Great Commission. I can go out and sow seed. Um, I can't do anything to make it grow, as we just talked about. That's God's job. That's what he's going to do. But I do have the opportunity to have a little bit of impact on the soil. And and so particularly as a dad, I think of Ephesians 6, 4, fathers do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them, Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. If I'm a tyrant in my home, if, if I'm constantly negative towards my kids, if all I'm doing is pointing out their fault, if I'm not modeling servant leadership, then what am I doing to the soil of their heart when I'm trying to share the gospel with them, right? They're, they're going to think, what? what is this gospel you're talking about, dad, the way you treat us, the way you dominate mom, the, you know, and so we can definitely have an impact on the soil in the hearts of those around us. Now, again, even in that, God can overcome that, you know, God can still soften soil that we've messed up, but, but he's definitely called us to be careful with the way that we handle people that we're in relationship with so that we don't mess up the soil. And so I think about that with my kids. I think of that with my wife. And then my wife and I, when it comes to soil, we can also have some impact on other things that are competing for the soil. So again, if, you're, if you like to garden, you know how important it is to weed your garden. If you don't weed it, those weeds are competing with, with, with the seed for those nutrients and for that water and that nourishment. And think about all the things that are competing with God's word in our children, the, the way that media is trying to compete with that, the way that, that their friends, if their friends aren't believers, are trying to compete with that, even culture at large, you know, there, there is an enemy that is after our children, an enemy that wants to, to seek and kill and destroy. And so my wife and I have a responsibility to, to weed. <laughs> we have a responsibility to be on the lookout for things that can impact the soil of our kid's heart. Yeah, and it's not just for parents. Even even if you're just out there trying to make disciples, if if you're if you're contentious, or if you're a Jesus, what we like to call a Jesus jerk, um, you speak truth but you don't do it with love. Then again, there's a chance that you can harden the soil of the person that you're trying to reach. Now again, I know this is hard because even Jesus had stern words for the Pharisees. We've seen that already in this series, and so I, I think you have to be prayerful about it, but. I think a lot of Christians feel like they have the right to be jerks because they have the truth. And again, it's still, the other person is responsible for their soil. You're not responsible for their soil. But there are plenty of places in scripture where it talks about, you know, 
sharing truth and love and and seasoning seasoning your words being gracious even god's word says that it's his it's god's kindness that leads us to repentance and so I, I think some some people maybe just need to be prayerful about that is if you're out there and you're kind of a Jesus jerk, you're contentious, especially on social media. We see this a lot on social media. And you might again, you might feel justified because you're speaking the truth. But just be prayerful about it because maybe you're not actually being helpful. I mean, the, the truth is, and Jesus modeled this so well, we can speak the truth, but sometimes you just need to wipe the dust from your feet and quit contending and move on to the next person. That's what Jesus said to, to his disciples. He said, if a, if a town rejects your message, he didn't say, go set up camp and start picketing there. He just says, wipe the dust from your feet and move on to the next town. And I think we, we need to have wisdom as believers. We need to have wisdom about when do we engage and when do we just move on? You know, I just, there was a couple that I just met at our campus uh, this, this week, John, who uh, uh, actually a couple of women who were there who were asking about our stance on LGBT and that sort of thing. And, and you know, because we have a very biblical stance on that and, and we're gracious about it, but we, we call sin, sin. And I told them that. I said, look, we, we're not going to justify any sin. If God's word says it's sin, then it's sin. And she started bringing me down this rabbit hole talking about, you know, well, I, well I, I believe the words of Jesus. So it was clear that she didn't believe all the Bible. She only believed some of the words of the Bible. And I, I saw, you know, maybe 20 years ago, I would have argued with her for 30 more minutes. But it was pretty clear to me that she probably didn't have ears to hear. And I had other people waiting to talk to me that maybe did have ears to hear. And I just said, lovingly, I just said, hey, look, we might, maybe we can have this conversation later. I don't need, we don't need to get in an argument about this. I just want to make sure that you understand where we stand, that we're going to speak truth and love, but we, we, we look to God and his word in everything we do, all of it. And so we're not going to pick and choose, but we're going to faithfully preach the whole counsel of God. And, and she, I said, if that means that this church isn't for you, that's fine. And that was kind of where we left it. I, I blessed her as she went, and I, and I turned around and talked to the next family, and they were literally on the other end of the spectrum, you know, around, on that issue. They said, we want to know where you stand on these things. And I told them the same thing, and they were very receptive to it, that that's what they were looking for in a church. So again, I think for the believers who are listening to this, I think, I think we're all going to have to get better at how do we speak up for God's word in our generation? How do, we, how do we sow the seed of the gospel in our generation? And how do we do it where we're balancing truth with love? And Jesus did that so well. John, there's one more parable we need to get to. Again, there were three parables in this little section that we're covering for today. And the last one is the mustard seed, the mustard seed parable. So this is probably the most familiar of the three and why don't you read it, verses 30 to 32, and then help us understand what Jesus is saying here. Beginning of verse 30, Jesus said, How can I describe the kingdom of God? What stories should I use to illustrate it? It is like a mustard seed planted in the ground. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows long branches, and birds can make nests in its shade. And Jesus is saying a couple of things here. One, he's saying it, it may be starting small, but God's kingdom is going to grow to 
to large, massive proportions. And I mean, we've seen that over time. Look at that small movement that started with 12 men following Jesus. And then, you know, we see the day of Pentecost and 3,000 were out of that number. And then this movement just keeps growing and growing and growing. And so one of the things that it really reminds me of is we shouldn't despise small things. Seemingly small movements by God can have enormous impacts. And this should be an encouragement to us. I, I just want to speak to someone today that maybe you're listening to this and, and you're the only person in your immediate family who's a follower of Jesus, and you just feel so small. Like, don't let the devil lie to you. God, God does amazing things through seemingly small movements when people are faithful to his calling, when people keep showing up. Uh, my, my wife is from Wyoming. She's from a town called Riverton. And to get there from Logan, one of the little towns we drive through is a town called Farson. And Farson, I mean, can't have more than 300 people in it. It is literally a dot on the map. There's not a stop light. There's just a stop sign. <laughs> they don't even have a traffic light. And for years when we would drive by there, there's a little, a little Baptist church, the Farson Eden Baptist Church. It's tiny. It it looks bleak. You know, it's like a gray color. It's in this gray landscape of that part of Wyoming. And I remember every time I'd drive by there, I'd think, oh, what a horrible place it would be to be a pastor here. And I remember one time, almost audible, it wasn't God's audible voice, but, but God said, how dare you? Like, how dare you judge what I am doing in that little church? That these men and women who are part of this body of Christ are faithfully serving me and they're planting seeds here and I'm going to do amazing things and, and what they do here is going to change people's eternity and I love the people of this little hick town as much as I love the people where you're from like how dare you it was really convicting for me Brian I, I remember that changed my outlook on you know how God values ministry even that God doesn't get more excited. I mean, we need to hear this for, for those that are, that are in vocational ministry. I mean, numbers are important and every number has a story, but God doesn't get more excited about the church with 10,000 people worshiping on Sunday than he does about the church with 30 that are serving him wholeheartedly and going full circle as believers. Yeah, in fact, I want to encourage you, if you're out there listening to this, and you're trying to share your faith, you're trying to be a disciple maker, man, it can be so discouraging. John, we've seen, we've seen this in, in our church over the years as, as people say, I want to help the next person, and then the next person doesn't show up, the next person flakes out. You know, We try to connect someone to be a mentor to someone, and, and they flake out. And we, we, We've learned to train people like this and say, look, just do your part, just be faithful in the little things, keep showing up. If they don't show up, that's okay. That's okay. Pray for them. God might not be done with them. You can only do your part. And so this, this message, this mustard seed parable is such a helpful reminder to me, is to think that my job is just to make disciples. Slow is fast. You know, we, we, we were really inspired by this church in the Philippines, Victory Church, that just started really small. It started really slow. They didn't even try to start a church. It just accidentally happened. But the, the, the key thing that they focused on was just making disciples. That's what they, they said. We just have one move. We just make disciples. So many churches today, 
They've got all these other moves, but they never make disciples. And, and there were churches in the Philippines like that that exploded in growth in the 80s when Victory Church started. And Victory was just a tiny church, just slowly, slowly grew for, for 10 years. They finally hit a couple thousand members after 10 years. And all these other churches were, were so much bigger than that instantaneously because they did all the flashy stuff. But those church, most of those other churches don't even exist anymore. And so I think just if you're a pastor, a leader, a small group leader, a Christian listening to this, the, the message of the mustard seed is that God's word, God's kingdom is unstoppable. It's unstoppable. Your job is to be faithful in the little things. We make disciples. You make disciples. Jesus grows the church. Don't try to grow your ministry. Just make disciples. Be faithful in the little things and see what God would do in the end. See how God would grow it in the end if you're faithful in the little things. Jesus said in Matthew 16, he told Peter, he said, he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And I love the last part. And the powers of hell will not conquer it. The gates of hell are no match for the unstoppable mustard seed kingdom of God. And how does it work? It works by followers of Jesus being faithful in the little things, followers of Jesus just showing up, showing up, making disciples. The last thing Jesus said to us was, go make disciples, go make disciples. Not very flashy. He says, go make disciples. It's a very personal, it's a very relational thing. It's a small thing. It might seem insignificant, but it can change generations. Hopefully, if you're on the podcast today, you you have ears to hear that, right? That that we have ears to hear, you know, so if, if we're not a believer, that, that we have ears to hear that there is a God who who loves you and and sent his son to die for you and you're you're broken, you're a sinner and you need him to rescue you. And for those of us who have already put our trust in Jesus, that we have ears to hear that he's called us to go scatter seed. And he's called us to be faithful in the way that we engage with the world around us. And then we get to sit back and see what he does. You know, I, I know you, you've shared some of your story, Brian, about just the, the encouragement and the pressure that it took off of you when you realized that, that we don't have to try and force this. We don't have to try and control it. You know, in, in that Matthew 16, 18 verse, Jesus says very plainly, I will build my church. Not you will build my church. Not even we will build my church. He says, I will build my church. He's going to take that role we just have to be faithful in scattering the seed and making disciples. So those are the three parables in Mark chapter 4, verses 21 to 34. Remember, God's methods are mysterious, but his kingdom is unstoppable. If you want to talk about this one with your family or your small group, or in a one-on-one -on -one mentoring relationship, you can find these resources along with all of our resources as we go through the Gospel of Mark at PursueGod.org forward slash Mark, and then make sure to join us next time as we continue in this incredible gospel.